in a world where Mad Lab Theater. What are you doing? Making the Mad Lab ad for Cinema Wheeler Tay. Oh, here's my other one. Susan thought it was just another day, and then she met Mad Lab. Why don't you just say that Mad Lab is the new works theater in downtown Columbus, featuring hilarious comedies, powerful dramas, improv with FFN, the annual Young Writers Festival, and the longest running shorts festival in central Ohio, Theater Roulette. That sounds pretty awesome, especially when I do it over the Star Wars theme. Star Wars is always a good choice. Mad Lab, the original. For more information, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or visit us at madlab.net. Welcome back to another episode of Cinema Wheeler Tay. It's Sean, Tony, and Scott yet again. Hello. And today we are joined by, well, it's always one of our favorite people. A but very special guest. It's a very special guest, yeah. <laughs> it's not quasi-special, it's full-fledged special. Yes. He's a first-timer. A, yes, he is. Yes. First-timer, finally a, a first-timer for our... He's, he's a talented improviser, a yes, talented musician, a great friend, and a better husband. <laughs> yes. There you go. He's all of those wow. things. Sometimes yeah. all at once, right? Oh, man, that's a lot to live up to. It's Thank a, you so much. Our friend from groups such as Reginald and State of Play, it's uh, Chris Heiberger, everybody. Oh, thank yeah. you guys for having me. This yeah. is I've uh, been looking forward to it. Yes. This is my official very first podcast I've yeah. ever been a part of. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, so... Oh, um, thanks for joining yeah. us. Uh, absolutely. So if I mess up, you know, it's... No. You'll never mess up. You can't mess up worse than we can. You know, so. um, today we brought on Chris because this is a movie I think both of us love. So I've been looking forward to doing this for a long time. Uh, uh, it's a kind of a movie, I, I think, for me, that kind of sums up in certain ways my what I love in comedy, like my tastes, uh, which is a big part of my life in general. So it, it means a lot. It's Caddyshack from uh, 1980. And uh, I have an interesting relationship with this movie because I love it despite itself because I don't think it's a perfect movie by any means. Mm-hmm. But I think when it works for me, the aspects that work work on such a high level that I end up watching it over and over again. Like I can turn that side of my brain off and just watch it. Uh, and I was kind of... I, I came to the movie like over time. Like, you know, I didn't... I'll, I'll maybe get back to that, but I'll start with Tony. Like, how did you discover this? And then we'll kind of turn oh. back to that, um, gather my well, thoughts on that. I actually discovered Caddyshack uh, from a guy friend of mine years ago who um, loved golf and loved this movie. So that's kind of how I became familiarized with it. Um, I've always loved Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, gr- growing up, one of my favorite movies when I was young was uh, Ladybugs. <laughs> which starred Jonathan Brandis and Rodney Dangerfield circa 1992. Mm-hmm. And I just always, um, as silly as that movie is, I just really had a strong appreciation for Rodney and his sense of humor and the way he delivered lines and just um, everything about him. And so when I found out that Rodney was in this film, I was like, oh, yeah, I'll watch it. I'll watch it. And so that's kind of how I came across it. It wasn't something that I really grew up with, sadly enough. Um, 
I, I didn't really ever watch it until I was an adult for the first time, which I think was kind of a good thing because then I was able to really enjoy it, you know, for what it was. Because the movie really is dated in terms of the aesthetics. You know, it's like very dated. So if you're not getting the humor, you're just kind of like, this is like an old, bad movie. Like, if you're just looking at it from the surface, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm really appreciative that I did watch it as an adult, you know, having... Um, perspective that I have now versus, you know, when I was a kid. I don't, I don't think I probably would have liked it as much if I was a kid. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Right. So, yeah. Yeah, I, <laughs> I guess I'll go next. Because <laughs> we're all looking at yeah, him. We yeah, looking yeah, at yeah. Me. yeah, we are all looking at Scott right now. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't recall whenever I became first familiar with this movie. I'm sure I started watching it when I was a teenager. You know where, because this I think this thing plays on rotation on TV since I remember. Um, so yeah, I uh, so I think it's sometime in the '90s is when I first saw it. So um, and I remember, it, and I always see it in snippets. That yeah, almost this movie works wild. in yeah. that way. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so without getting too much into it, you know, yeah. that was probably what I remember most. So I'm really going to date myself because um, <laughs> I was 14 when this movie came out. Um, I, I grew up on Saturday Night Live. I'm one of those people that despite whatever you want to call the good years or the bad years of Saturday Night Live, I still record it. I still go back and watch it. Um, and so obviously at that time there were some amazing movies coming out with a lot of those uh, cast members from mm -hmm. Saturday Night Live. And mm -hmm. so I was watching all of them and... Um, yeah, this movie comes out, and, and it's funny because, you know, we put the VCR to the cable box, and mm -hmm. we recorded this movie, Caddyshack, and Blues Brothers, and <laughs> uh, my best friend and I would watch those two movies, like we would alternate every other weekend, maybe both back-to-back, -back. I mean, I have seen it so many times, <laughs> and... It's a it's a movie that speaks to a fourteen year old boy. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. And, uh, and I I appreciate that. That's uh, kind of how it is. But you know, I agree, Tony, with you too. I think one of the things I love about it is even when it came out, it still sort of had a little bit of an old look to it, yes. you know, an old feel to it. And uh, uh, so, yeah, that that is kind of how I stumbled on that movie. And my best friend and I just caught it probably when it first came out. On, I mean. I didn't see it in the movie theater, but I saw it on cable and, mm -hmm. uh, sometime in 1980. So, yeah, it's a great movie. Well, for me, uh, one of the reasons I cut myself off is I knew I was going to ramble before I gave you guys a chance to talk. <laughs> Mostly because, uh, not so much specifically the movie, but uh, two, two of the principles kind of represent like my first like movie stars like the people that I like loved and went to see simply because they were in a film and those two people are Bill Murray and Chevy Chase and I would add like Steve Martin and Dan Aykroyd and all those guys there because when I saw Ghostbusters saw Ghostbusters and Vacation they were like some of the first adult movies not adult movies but the first movies that I can remember seeing at the drive-in theater mm -hmm. and I saw and I, I just kind of I, they were the, it was the first time when I kind of recognized rather than the, just the character that the actor was bringing something to the table that was unique to the actor. I think it was Bill Murray and Ghostbusters and Chevy Chase and Vacation that the name Chevy Chase and Bill Murray stuck more than their character names did. Like, they were doing something that, um, like Harrison Ford I knew was Han Solo or Indiana Jones, but these guys I kind of knew by Bill Murray and Chevy Chase. 
And I just liked the, the irreverence. There was something that really appealed to me, but how irreverent they were, or how funny they were. They were funny in a very unique way, which I now know is like satirical and irreverent and kind of cynical. Um, and that's when I went back and discovered the the first uh, the first five years of Saturday Night Live, which are probably my still my favorite years of SNL. I'm not denying that. It's had great moments since that time, but that era to me is really special. Like right. I feel like I found those guys were the first movie stars I grew up with, mm-hmm. the, the first comedy stars. So that meant a lot. With this specific movie, um, I always wanted to rent it as a kid. I remember seeing it at the video store, and because of all the people in it, I, I could not. I wanted to see it, but my mom goes, "Oh, it's rated R. We can't watch this because <laughs> it's like right there." So we settled for Caddyshack 2. I actually saw Caddyshack 2 <laughs> oh before God, I saw dude. Caddyshack 1. That's like I, two. Yeah. Oh, Caddyshack 2 is like yeah. the, an abomination in yeah, every way. Really and everybody, you could tell everybody making it hated it too. <laughs> yeah. Nobody looked happy being in that movie. Why are we stomping on the memory? You know, I read that both Dangerfield and Murray. <laughs> That's right. So we read of that, but um, gradually over time, I eventually got to see it. My dad loves this movie. It's like one of his favorites, too. And uh, um, when I saw it, I just kept watching it over and over again. And it's like it kind of revitalized my love, especially in college, of Bill Murray and, and Chevy Chase and all those guys. Um, that said, I think I break it down this way, because Harold Ramis actually described this film as like a modern-day Marx Brothers movie when it was all said and done. It right. wasn't his plan. But he said, I realized years later that I made a Marx Brothers movie because Chevy, Rodney Dangerfield, and Bill Murray are all kind of playing the Groucho, Chico, Harpo parts. And then Ted Knight's playing the like Margaret Dumont role, where he's the yeah. foil. And a lot like those movies, when those principles aren't on screen, it's flat. <laughs> it's boring, like the Zeppo parts, you know? Like, yeah. it's like... And they even admitted that. Like, there's not much... There are, like, Brian Doyle Murray's great in this, too. I add him to that mix. But the teenagers really are kind of... I know that they originally planned to make them the center of the film, but you could tell that they just didn't bring a lot to the table compared to these established stars. They more written for the adults. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even the the priest, they have an interesting story arc to him. Yeah. Or father, right? And, you know... Any of the adults that they have in this movie, I think, are all interesting. It's just that exactly. caddies are just yeah. kind of—they're just like your typical teens. Which, yeah. yeah, I mean, people can identify with, but it doesn't really make them uh, something to to focus on, you know. In this movie, like in my opinion, I don't—I mean, I really feel that the movie doesn't really get good until Ronnie Dangerfield comes in. <laughs> that his opening scene when he pulls up in that car—it's yeah. just like he brings the energy, yeah. and the whole movie just shifts from then on out with him being in it. Uh, whereas the teens, I just feel like are it's like your run of the mill eighties, late seventies, early eighties, Porky's kind of like teen comedy. It just well, they, they were really funny. Um, they, they made really funny props in the scenes in a way because here they are in the midst of what are very mature kinds of you know there's there's betting going on and arguing mm-hmm. and and kind of all this craziness going on and they're sort of there right in the middle of it all just reacting in a kind of a funny way, but you're just noticing them as props and not exactly. really as, as players. Mm-hmm. And in fact, they yeah. kind of burn through the whole setup on the caddies in the first few minutes of the movie yeah. where they sort of establish, you know, that it's just this group of just wild kids that are barely controllable and yeah. and, uh, and then they don't talk about the caddies anymore. They're just mm-hmm. sort of there and in the background. 
And you're right. They they are kind of more re they're more reactionary. Yeah. To the adults. Right. I want to go back to what Tony said earlier about Rodney Dangerfield because Roger Ebert, in his review, he was lukewarm to the movie. He only gave it two and a half stars when it was first issued, but he loved Dangerfield's performance. And this is what he said. Which Maybe is, I should be a movie critic. I know, you're good. He goes, and then there is Rodney Dangerfield who wades into the movie and cleans up because to the degree that this is anyone's movie, it's Dangerfield's, and he mostly seems to be using his own material. He plays a loud, vulgar, twisting condo developer who is thinking of buying a country club and using the land for housing. The country club is one of those exclusive wasp enclaves, a haven for such types as the judge who founded it, blah, blah, blah. But essentially, he goes, Dangerfield is funniest though when the movie just lets him talk. He is a Henny Youngman clone filled with one-liners and insults, and he's great at the country club's dinner dance, yep. abusing everyone and making rude noises. Surveying the crowd from the bar, he uses lines that he has, in fact, stolen directly from his nightclub routine. That steak still has the mark of the jockey's whip in it. With his bizarre wardrobe and trick golf club, he's a throwback to the Groucho Marx and W.C. Field School of insult comedy. He has a vitality that the movie's younger comedians can't match, and they suffer in comparison. <laughs> so that's what Roger Ebert yeah, said. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't agree completely with that. Well, it depends on how we break it down. I certainly agree. Dangerfield is like on a route much more, and the caddies are like in yeah. some ghetto somewhere, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, kind of exactly. hanging out on a side story. But I think like all four principals, I think Chase, Murray, Knight, and Dangerfield are all excellent in this movie. And I think they all have, they're all hilarious Absolutely. in this movie. And the movie really comes to life when they're on screen. I think when they're missing, it, it really falls flat. So it's as uneven a classic as I can think of. You know, it's yeah. like it goes in hills and valleys constantly like that. Yeah. But I think, you know, Dangerfield, he was the, he's a vocal observer right through this movie. Because mm -hmm. he's just walking around just looking at things and saying stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's all mm -hmm. he's doing the whole time. And, you know, some of it almost feels like supernatural. I think, you know, that he's just really, this is actually happening and you're watching it because he seems so relaxed about that because mm -hmm. he went on very long rants several minutes where it's him you know the, the, what an ugly hat would he get a free bowl of soup with that hat looks good <laughs> on you you know and he's just rolling along and rolling yeah. along and it's just hilarious and he's seeing everything that's going on and he's commenting on it out loud mm -hmm. yeah in yeah. the most inappropriate or funny way and if as you're watching him through that everything that he's doing is just simply that yeah. you know the dance of the dead and you know <laughs> hey eat something, gain some weight, you know, everything yeah. he's doing, he's just pointing stuff out about people and making fun of them. I do laugh because he makes several dead jokes in that. Oh, he does. Yeah, absolutely. It's the same joke, literally, yeah, same sometimes. Dance of the living dead. Yeah. <laughs> the dance of the living yeah. dead. Yeah. Oh, and he well, starts it. you know, it's funny because in a lot of ways, he, he's sort of like a um, male version of Joan Rivers in that regard. Because she very much was the same way in her comedy, where she was really observational. And mm -hmm. she would say, in essence, what everybody was thinking, but was too afraid exactly. to say because it was insulting. And that's exactly what Rodney Dangerfield did in this movie. He said what we were all kind of thinking. Mm -hmm. Or maybe we weren't aware that we were thinking it until he said it. And then we were like, yes. Um, either way, it's still brilliant. And I yeah. think it really adds a uh, vitality to the movie. And uh, I, I mean... Not just because I'm a huge uh, Dangerfield fan, but I think if he weren't in the film, it would really be lacking uh, a certain energy. And I don't know if if it would really be like this classic that it really is, you know? Because he just adds so much to the film. Yeah. You know, because Bill Murray has sort of a small role in the movie. Not that he's not good in it, because he is. 
but he doesn't his he's not a focal character. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like if you took away Dangerfield, which is such kind of like a even though he sort of has a small role yeah. too, he kind of just takes over. It's, it's it, just like I, the I don't weird know. thing about this movie is there's a lot of guys that don't interact at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's amazing. They literally brought Murray and yeah. Chase together because they were not friends at the time. So yeah, they, they forced that scene in order because they were huge yeah. at the time. So it's like we can't have a movie with you guys on these. Um, Sort of different storylines throughout this without intersecting at some point. So he doesn't. I mean, you don't see Murray, Murray really interact with Dangerfield, mm-hmm. no, mm-hmm. or tonight, really. Wait, tonight, or there's maybe a few limited. He's always kind of by himself in a way. Yeah, he's yeah. like by himself in this. He's yeah. basically a beast story guy. Yeah, yeah. chasing the, the the groundhog, which mm-hmm. is just kind of this linear parallel story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is, and there's a lot of backstory with a lot of these things, which I think fascinating is this was Harold Ramis's first movie. And he and his writing partner, Doug Kenny, uh, they both wrote Animal House together. Yeah. And Animal House was helmed by a great filmmaker, just like technically John Landis, yeah. who you know from yeah. the Blues Brothers. You know, he's a technical filmmaker. He's a better f- director than Harold Aramis. Well, Animal House feels like it's a movie based in the early 60s. It feels like in the early 60s. Yeah. This is a movie based in Nebraska that feels like it's in Florida where it was filmed. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember <laughs> we were watching it last week. He said Nebraska. I said, wait a minute. Nebraska's landlocked. How did they have an ocean? <laughs> it's like a big lake scene. How did they have like yeah. a yeah. giant yeah. lake ocean type body of water in Nebraska? Oh, it's a gaudy movie, really, when yeah. you think about it. And that's somewhat to its charm, but because it's kind of a ramshackle movie in a way. But um, it, it was really supposed to be about the caddies. I think they, they wrote a, a screenplay that was going to be based on these well, caddies. It's called, and Caddy it's called Caddyshack, yeah, right? It's not called Country Club. No, no, which probably would be a, great, probably great title. a great title. Yeah. Um, and when they started hiring all this, like, because they needed stars, uh, they got all this established talent, and all the creative energy went to them. And because Harold Ramis is an improviser, and all four of us have worked yeah. in improv one way or another, we're all improvisers, um, a lot of this became improvised because Chase was great at improvising. Dangerfield, while not oh, an improviser, had, had yeah. his own material. Yeah, they wrote his own. And Bill Murray did not have one line of dialogue written for him in the script. He improvised every single line. Yeah. He was only supposed to be there for six days of shooting. Yeah. But they loved so much of what he did that they ended up keeping a good portion of what they shot. Yeah. So I think even though they had a script, they threw the script out the window. <laughs> And they thought they had all these great moments. And when they finally went to edit it, they had four and a half hours of footage. Like, man, the caddies are flat. They found yeah. out that those scenes yeah. between uh, um, Danny Noonan and his girlfriend, who was in Animal House, actually. She played yeah. the uh, underage daughter of... Uh, she was... No offense. The underage daughter of the dean. Just, yeah. I, he wasn't really that great. Yeah, she has an Irish accent, which is so, weird. They even that said they don't know. Lot, they even said it's a strange accent. Nobody yeah. understands how Where, that. I asked. Up. I said, "Is she from Ireland?" <laughs> I, 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 it's always distracting me. Like, why the hell does she have an Irish accent? Yeah. There's no reason for that character to yeah. be Irish. The movie opens up with a obviously fake-looking gopher. Yeah, dances. So, yeah. like, any yeah, kinda... but we can get past that because that's kind of campy. Like, I yeah. like, I like that he looks but, like. A but I think that sets the tone for the movie. Like, yeah. oh, right. this yeah. not gonna well. Be. What happened with it, too, like, what Ramus said is, like, because the Caddy's uh, storyline fell flat when they were editing it, mm-hmm. they needed a thread line because all they had was a bunch of vignettes, and the gopher became the thread line that would connect everything together. They needed something to kind of okay. move from A to B, because without that, you have, like you guys said, Bill Murray's off on the side yeah. on his own yeah. adventures. Chevy Chase is doing his Zen Buddhist thing over here. 
uh, Dangerfield's doing his one act. Actually, the one guy that is kind of the main character is probably Judge Schmales because yeah, he's Judge, the guy that's yeah. kind of <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's connected to everybody. Yeah, in yeah. some way, yeah. in some way or another. Yeah. Uh, very limited with Murray, but with everything else, he's the like the the common thread. Yeah, I don't think uh, Danny's too terrible in this movie. To be he's honest, he's not too me. terrible. But I mean, if it was just him, I think it'd be fine because. You get a lot of great material with Timmy Chase with him, and a lot of great with Judge Smales with him, and Ronnie Dangerfield with him. So, you know, him being there is not really a negative, you know, but it's just like him and any other caddies is... is, is See, for me, yeah. I think, you know, Danny Noonan was the story. So, yeah. mm-hmm. th- th- what's interesting about the movie is, especially if you go and read different um, one or two sentence synopsis of these movies like everybody has a different perspective on what this movie's about yeah yeah and it's completely different like one it's a uh, some uh, horrible guy wants to join a country club he's ruining everything that's one the is amazon ground, prime yeah, yeah one is a you know the and for me the opening scene is nice. danny at home in his crazy mm-hmm. house of, of brothers and sisters and 20 mom kids. and dad yeah. are they adopted and, or are they orphaned we couldn't figure that well, every yeah. time we turn I, I around think, there's a new kid in the I show I think yeah. the Murray family had nine kids okay. so you know a lot of this movie is based on their childhood they they all worked at the local golf course they were caddies mm-hmm. Bill Murray worked and made hot dogs I mean th- so a lot of what's in this movie because I think Brian Doyle Murray also shared in some of the writing of he it, did yeah um, is is a little bit of their life and so for me you know I followed Danny Noonan through the story mm-hmm. when I watched it and I still kind of watch it that way but I could see how you could pick up on a different character coming in and want to follow them through mm-hmm. certainly you know Ty you want to follow him and his crazy antics or, mm-hmm. or uh, you know uh, Rodney or the yeah. judge and and uh, so that's what's kind of funny about this movie is there's really a lot of different stories um, mm-hmm. but but there's uh, you get to pick which thread you want to follow you know and, and find yeah. your conclusion in that thread that that's you a want, great you know? point because I, I really think it, it, it's all about which character connects to you the most and that's the character then you choose to follow I was a caddy yeah. I worked at OSU golf course as a kid I was a caddy and um, you know like I said 14, 15, 16 years old watching this, I mean, I definitely connected to Danny Noonan, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so for me, that that just always is the, when I'm watching it, that's yeah. the thread I'm picking up on. So it's funny to read people's uh, plot summaries and it's like, it's yeah. not at all about, you know, Rodney's character in the Groundhog. I mean, they're just in it. <laughs> yeah. You know, to me, when yeah. I'm reading it. So. They're like comedy relief. Yeah. Well, I think with Michael O'Keefe, he plays uh, Danny Noonan. I don't think he's the issue with Danny Noonan, really. I mean, I think he plays him as well as you can. Um, I think yeah. my issues with the characters, the filmmakers don't know who they want Danny Noonan to be. Because yeah. sometimes Danny is naive and straight-laced. Other times he's an instigator and he's ornery and he's kind of pushing things. Uh, and that changes from scene to scene. And it's like there's no consistency in his character. Mm-hmm. He's almost kind of like whatever the scene requires him to be. You probably need like a young like Robert Downey Jr. or someone like that. Oh, yeah. That, that would be. Capture that. Someone that had comedic chops, but he was young. Somebody that you would actually believe Lacey Underall would go for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but but you definitely, you already had, you had your powerhouse comedic folks there so, right. yeah. so you don't want anybody to take away because yeah I mean Ted Knight obviously you know kind of a genius in his own way Ted Knight is plays just... the same character in everything and it's just always funny but he and... kills this movie I mean he, he does, does. Yeah. I think my favorite part is his reactions to Rodney Dangerfield are just <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean yeah. those two I, I think that's where the energy is is him like just, just completely 
Oh man, Ted Knight is fantastic in this movie, yeah, yeah. and I realize that more every every time I watch it, more and more, I <laughs> I, I, I love Ted Knight's performance. And you're right. Yeah. I mean, he's. I think there are two different types of actors. I think what I call a persona actor, which is an actor that has a very distinct persona, but it's a great one. Like mm-hmm. Cary Grant is an example of that. Yeah. And the chameleon, a guy who can play a variety of different roles. Like I think Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis is a great example. And then there's Audrey Hepburn. And then there's Audrey Hepburn, who's in the League of Her Own, I always have to squeeze her in. I lost the bet. She's her own archetype. On a, you know, you can't compute that. Or Catherine, which today is Catherine Hepburn's birthday, so oh, I think we should birthday. honor the other Hepburn. Yeah, that's right, we should. <laughs> but um, with um, with Ted Knight, I think Ted Knight is amazing, and, and he was great on the Mary Tyler Moore show, mm-hmm. and he plays the evil version of Ted, although Ted Baxter is never exactly a paragon of moral virtue. Yeah, right. But he's taking like Ted Baxter to the dark side almost, you know, as this, this racist, waspy... Yeah. Set in his ways, he's a hypocrite. I mean, but he's so charming playing that role. Like he's hard to hate, you know. Well, he's so I know, lovable. and it's like the scene where he catches Lacey in bed with um, the caddy. I mean, that whole scene, just the way that it plays out, is so funny. With yeah. they're dropping like the teacups down oh, from the staircase, and all the people are down below just like watching, and it's <laughs> yeah. just hilarious. And he's like obviously losing his cool. You know, he's tearing up his bedroom. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then what's her name? Just sits in the chair. She's like, oh. Yeah. I, I love his scenes. Like, there's so many lines. Some of my favorite lines from the movie have are now from Judge Schmales. Like, one of my favorite is when Spalding goes, I want a hot dog, I want a hamburger. You'll get nothing like it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, there, uh, how about a fresca uh, with the oh, scene yeah, with fresca. Danny. And then one of my favorites, and it's, it's a throwaway line, and is when Chevy Chase drives the car onto the uh, green when they're about to start the... Uh, uh, the whole betting procedure. Oh, at the end. And yeah. he goes, "Stop kidding around, Ty. Put that steering wheel back where it belongs yeah. and get out of there." It's yeah. hilarious because yeah, it's, it's awesome. like it was an English built car, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, so he just he just and it put how, some glue on it with a boat. You know? Yeah, and how about the scene where Rodney Dangerfield is like playing his radio and everybody's dancing out on the green? He's like, yeah. "Turn that down! I'm trying to golf." He's like freaking <laughs> out because Rodney's up there playing his music. And mm-hmm. can we just talk about Rodney Dangerfield dancing? <laughs> that yeah. is like the greatest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. I wish that somebody would make a gif of that. <laughs> if there already isn't, I'm just yeah. running. I'm sure there is. Dancing like that. I mean, he's so good. Well, well I love the, the Ted Knight line at the, towards the very end there when Danny's got standing over the putt. You know, they've doubled the bet now. <laughs> and he says, Well, we're waiting. <laughs> and I, I know that that is something between that and you'll get nothing and like it because, you know, my yeah. two kids got to hear that from me every once in a while yeah. when they were being bad. Yeah. Because that just made me laugh. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that his lines were just so funny. And his he, he's always, he and Rodney, both of those guys are funny facially, mm-hmm. like their yeah. expressions yeah. and their reactions, as you were saying, Sean. I mean, it's. It's really part of the humor with those two guys, mm-hmm. and you know they just kill it when it comes to that. I mean, there's there's no uglier leading man that's ever graced a movie <laughs> than Rodney Dangerfield. True that, <laughs> but yeah. but it does so it doesn't good. matter. And I I want to go back to Ladybugs at some point. I want to yes. talk about that. <laughs> yeah. I would love to. I mean. My kids were young. That movie played in my house over and over and over again. Uh-huh. And the only reason why I survived watching the movie as many times as uh-huh. I did, because I have definitely seen it 40 or 50 <laughs> times, is Rodney. Yeah. <laughs> so, funny story. So, when that movie first came out, my, my sister Jackie had a huge crush on Jonathan Brandis. 
who was like the lead in that. And so we went and saw it, and I loved Rodney Dangerfield. I couldn't get enough of him. And so like growing up, on Sundays, mom would take us to the video store, you know, back when Blockbuster was in business, and we could rent a movie. Now, Jackie and I had to alternate. One Sunday was my pick, which was usually a Jonathan Taylor Thomas movie. Mm-hmm. And then the next Sunday was her pick, which was usually a Jonathan Brandis, Brandis movie. So she picked Ladybugs, and uh, we took it home and watched it. My mom really enjoyed it, too because she liked Rodney Dangerfield, and uh, fast forward to, like, I don't know, a couple months ago, Scott and I were at Target, and I saw Ladybugs in the $5. Yeah. I said, I have to get this for my sister. I was like, but first, we're watching it. (laughs) So we took it home, we watched it, and we could not stop laughing. There's a scene where um, they're facing one of the best soccer teams, and it's led by this woman who is really militant, and runs her soccer team like a military troop, and she's not very feminine. We'll just put it that way. So she comes over to Rodney Dangerfield, and she's like, all right, what was his name? I can't remember his name in the movie. Um, and it was a goofy name. Anyway, so she's like, Chester, that was his name. She's like, all right, Chester, are you ready? My girls are going to tear your guys apart. And she's like, rip, you know, ripping him a new line, and he's like, hey, and then he's like, oh, I know you're not two-faced, because if you are, you'd be wearing the other face. <laughs> he is such a... It's just so funny. <laughs> he is such a highly skilled... When it comes to old-school one-liner Borscht oh, yeah. Belt comedy, yeah. I don't think anybody touches him. I know they wanted Don Rickles originally for Caddyshack, the oh, Matt Roll. Oh, my God. And it would have been, with all respect to Don Rickles, my dad actually hated Don Rickles, <laughs> and I think that kind of carried over. Yeah. We weren't yeah. into that. Although I do respect him now. I think he was a, a talented comedian. But Rodney Dangerfield just has that lovability immediately. And that, like you said, the energy he brings energy, to the table just, is just, just unparalleled. Yeah. Right. He has to be, what, he's in his fish, late 50s? In the he was 60 when this came out. Wow. And he's a so Ladybugs was like, yeah. oh my yeah. God, he was yeah. that old? Yeah. Ladybugs? Yeah, back to school. Wow. He's back to school. Around so good. And, uh, he had a windy. Fascinating career because he started out like he was born in the twenties and he started out in like in the think the forties as a stand up, yeah. but oh he gosh. failed. So he went through a variety of jobs until he eventually went back. I think in the sixties full time to stand up, and through the sixties and seventies, that's really when he became a star and famous. Yeah. And this put him in the films because. Ronnie Dangerfield was as, as prominent as any celebrity in the 80s, whether it's Mr. T or yep. Pee Wee Herman. Ronnie yes. Dangerfield was one of those Absolutely. guys you would yeah. see in mu- music videos all mm-hmm. the time, and, mm-hmm. and everybody loved watching them. And I, I, I think you appreciate these guys more now. Like, when they're ubiquitous, you kind of like, okay, I've, they don't have as much appeal, maybe, because it's like I've seen too much. But now that they're gone and you look back on it, it's like, wow, what a special talent they were. And we yeah. were kind of blessed with that for a while. and. You know, I think one of the things that really makes Rodney really attractive is he's kind of the everyman. You know, he's not, yeah. he's obviously not a traditionally good looking, you know, type. He's no Cary Grant, right. I'll say that yeah. much. But he's really funny and he's really relatable and, you know, the whole I can't get no respect. It just, oh. he, he's like the guy you want to root for, you know, he's like yeah, the underdog. Absolutely. And I think that he really used that to his advantage because every it every every guy probably in their fifties is related to him on every level. Like, yeah. Just, yeah. just like yep. here's the difference too. Like you were mentioning the Danny Noonan Lacey Underall thing earlier. I think if Rodney snagged Lacey Underall, everybody would love that. You yes. know, because yeah. people would say, yeah. Fine, a guy deserves that kind yeah, of happiness. Yeah. Yes. You know, it gets it. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like everybody yeah. rooted for him. Yeah. yeah. He just was he was like the every guy that that 
you love to love. Right. Because he was harder on himself than anybody. Exactly. No respect was his yes. whole routine. Yeah, exactly. you know, the yeah, low... yeah, the self-loathing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And on the set, he was kind of like that in real life. Like, he had that same issue that a lot of comics have, which is self-doubt. And, mm-hmm. like they said, like, he was bothered by the fact that nobody was laughing at his jokes. He's used to being in front of a live audience. This is his first film. Mm-hmm. And nobody's laughing at any of his one-liners. And he's getting nervous because he's used yeah. to that. He goes, why is anybody laughing? And he's like, well, they can't laugh, Rodney, because it will ruin the... The soundtrack, but everybody knew he was brilliant in the yeah. movie. Oh, yeah. They just couldn't laugh because yeah. they would, that's unprofessional. It would yeah, ruin yeah. so many things. Yeah, uh, yeah, so. I would have a hard time not laughing if I were ever in a scene with him. We've you been know? to, he had a club in New York called Dangerfield. Scott and I have actually been there a few times, and it's just magical being there because it's like yeah. so many young, he was so great to so many young oh, comics was. starting out in the 80s, like Sam Kinison and Jerry mm-hmm. Seinfeld, Bob Saget, all these guys kind of came through. He gave them their break and into the business in a way. Well, he right. definitely took that popularity and he he uh, turned it into a way to help, yeah. truly help some of those young starving comedians. He did, yeah. Which is again what makes you love him even more. Yeah, yeah. You know, you just root for the guy. Mm-hmm. You you want him to get the girl. You want him to to uh, make out okay in the end, whatever his situation is. I think he's an under underappreciated talent in some ways. Like I think people are rediscovering him again because mm-hmm. I think. Maybe people thought it was sticky at one point. I don't yeah. feel that way. I feel like he was a top-tier, superb, great comedic talent now. I think he's a guy that people need to discover. Yeah. Like, another movie I would recommend is Back to School. Oh, yeah. Because I think next to Caddyshack, that's his best. And, and that movie is smart because a great Dangerfield movie is when you put him front and center, but you surround him with a lot of really strong people yeah. and a good script, like anything else. But it's tailored to him. Yes. So you can support him. I think the worst movies of Dangerfield was when he has to carry the load all by himself mm-hmm. and he gets lost a little bit in the shuffle. Mm-hmm. Triple Indy? Is that the name of the dive? Back to school? Yeah. yeah you, you know he was a diver in his youth? Okay. Yeah. That, I used to think it was just oh a shtick, but I found he out he actually was a diver yeah. in okay. his younger days. Did he do that stunt? Really? Or was no, he... I don't think, think so, yeah. Stunt, okay. But... But again, you know, in classic Dangerfield style, as, as he's doing the flip, you know, they're they're panning to him and he's kind of got his arms out with his thumbs up and yeah. this ridiculous look on his face, you know. And I mean, it was it was a that was a very very good movie. I saw that several times and just really enjoyed his his whole persona. His last words were a joke. He had open heart surgery and he said, "If it all goes well, about a week." If, it, if not, then about an hour and a half. <laughs> and then he died. He died. Oh, yeah. That's so sad. Yeah. It's sad. Uh, I mean, he's definitely someone that, if I'm just flipping through the TV and, and I see his face, I'm just going to stop it right there and watch it, whatever movie it might be. <laughs> he just, you know, you love him. I, I love him, too. And I think I have a lot of, like, I'm a pretty, pretty nostalgic guy, but Dangerfield is definitely a guy that brings me back to the 80s in a good way. Like, when I see him, like, oh, I remember. You kind of remind me of him right now from this angle. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought I, I never aimed to be a danger field, but no, uh, no. Hey, no respect. I'll start taking my time. And, um, but I love the guy. I mean, I, I, I think uh, I love the how you described it, Tony. I think that like the fact that he was such a, I think what we consider ugliness. I think that was a strength for him, though. I think that yeah. he had so much character and yeah, animation absolutely. to his face. Yeah. Um, Ted Knight, on the other hand, was such a well-groomed guy, but he plays that subversively, too, because he's a buffoon. Like, he's this well-groomed, well-coiffed yeah, guy, yeah. but he plays the buffoon. And watching those two who are the same age and their total opposites is such a great dynamic to watch. You yeah. know, the guy that's really straight-laced, you know, I love tightly the, wound. I yeah. love the, the entourage of people while you play golf. 
<laughs> like he has his niece, Lacey watching him. I mean, he's just playing golf, and some people aren't playing. They're just watching him <laughs> yeah. play. I think that's <laughs> Yeah. As they're just marching through. I, my favorite scene with it, well, no, I, I have several, but one scene that I always loved is when he and Danny Noonan are on the side, and he's kicking the ball out of the forest, and he's yeah. like... Uh, and he goes, why don't you improve your lie a bit, sir? And he goes, yes, winter rolls. Yeah, and he kicks yeah. it out even yeah. further. <laughs> and he's looking around. Uh, <laughs> when he throws his putter. And, uh, <laughs> almost, oh, yeah. almost kills the lady at the uh, having the lunch. Table. <laughs> Danny has to step in and they go over to the table. He's going to sign his card now. You know, <laughs> a smart young man like you needs to, you know. Maybe come on down to my house here, keep this, and hands him a quarter or a nickel yeah. or something. Yeah, he's just, cheap. Yeah, just, yeah, he's totally cheap. And they, so they, they balance it by, they show a Rodney giving, you know, lots of All cash these kids' money, yeah. 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 Were you a fan of his on uh, the Mary Tyler Moore show, uh, Ted Baxter? Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah, because he had, I mean, he had the best character on that show for the laughs, right? I mean, there were so many of the laughs were his. Yeah. Everybody else had funny characters, and Mary would be kind of funny, but, I mean, Ted was always funny. He was completely clueless, and uh, but didn't know that he was clueless, but everybody else did. Yeah. So he just always had the best one-liners in that show. Was he the art? I mean, was he the archetype of that kind of character for a lot? Because there's a lot of that character oh, yeah. they put yeah. in all the sitcoms. Following, mm-hmm. was he the it's first? It's like a that? formula. Yeah. yeah. He was the first guy. I think he was the character Ted Baxter. I think was the was one of the best examples of parroting a news anchor on TV, yeah. of being vapid off camera, but right. looking polished and reading the lines mm-hmm. correctly on camera. You know, having that authoritative, you know, persona. And yet he's completely vapid and vain and, and, and kind of dumb. The lovable you know, narcissist. Yeah, yeah, ignorant. Yeah. 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 He is. He's a lovable narcissist. And I think Judge Doom, I think Judge Doom is in a way smarter Judge Doom. Than, than Judge Doom. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm confusing all my all the way. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That, that is Roger Rabbit. It's a radically different villain. You know? You know? I, I throw all evil judges into one category. They're all one to me. Uh, and I love that actor too. That's a different story for a different day. Um, but uh, yeah, Judge Judge Smales is <laughs> Judge Smales is is my uh, he's smarter, but he's also a great foil. And I think both characters are great foils for other people yeah. to bounce off of. And he plays it because I think his reactions are so commi- yeah. he commits to going big and broad with his reactions of just being offended and no sense of humor whatsoever yeah. about himself. And some of the funny because he is like so. Uh, particularly quaffed and, and pressed and all of that. Part of what's funny about him in Caddyshack and even other things too is how he slowly begins, his appearance begins to come unraveled. Yeah. At the same time that he's becoming unraveled, you know, his hair is starting to go crazy and it gets really red in the face and, mm-hmm. you know, the shirt is a little more unbuttoned or a little more wrinkled or there, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. just kind of funny how those, those uh, the way he kind of comes unglued as physical and just in his voice and in his actions. So. Hey, you you scratched my anchor. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and he starts crying. <laughs> Don't just stand there. Get some glue. Get some glue. <laughs> um, how about a fresca is famous too. I think we mentioned that earlier, but that's always been a fun yeah. line. Um, uh, I think of the side characters I want to get into a bit, like outside of the marquee names, I think the two that I really like are Brian Doyle Murray, who we've talked about a little bit, yeah. and I think Cindy Morgan, who plays Lacey Underall, is really strong. It's not a funny role, yeah. but I think, yeah, she's the, the sex pot, and she plays that well, and she's gorgeous, but I think that she also 
is the one that stands out. Like, I think she does a good job reacting to a lot of these guys. Mm-hmm. Either she's the instigator or when she's with Chevy Chase, she really plays well off of him. You know, mm-hmm. she, the Chase uh, Lacey under all scenes are far superior than the Danny Lacey <laughs> yeah, under yeah, all yeah. scenes. I mean, that's just a, mm-hmm. a, a change in talent. Absolutely. I love the scene where she gets on the diving board, too, because I think there's a Kenny Loggins song, I think it's called Mr. Knight, and I think that music plays so well into her getting up on the, uh, yeah, you know, the diving and board. Like watching her. I, yeah. I personally love her uh, entire wardrobe in this movie. <laughs> that black v-neck one piece, I want. <laughs> Those jeans, high-waisted jeans, I want. Like, everything, every time I saw her, I was like, oh, I want that outfit. Um, but yeah, I agree. She, she's definitely, uh, I think, a troubled character. Yeah. I think she's an insecure woman kind of looking for uh, acceptance and love and maybe she's not even sure what she's looking for mm-hmm. which is kind of I think what stems her poor decision making but uh, but she's fun to watch and I think she's really good at balancing out some of the male leads like I love that scene with her and Chevy Chase yeah um, I do she too she goes home with him or she goes to his house I yeah, like, I even want her car, by the way, that old Mercedes. <laughs> I like the, uh, I think the best Caddy-centric scene is the, the, the pool scene, the swimming pool scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Duty! Because uh, I think that captures what they kind of were going for. Yeah. yeah. Where they kind of run, run, run roughshod over the whole, you know. Yeah. It's Caddy Day. Yeah. And they all come in, burrowing in, and, you know. But it's Caddy Day from 1 to 115. <laughs> yeah, I love that, too. It's one of my favorite yeah. things. So it sets that up. So... So, you know, they all just come pouring in and diving in. They got 15 minutes to get it all, all the fun. <laughs> and, the, and the lifeguard cracks me up, especially when they start the whole uh, synchronized swimming routine. Oh, they, yeah. just, they just cut to the lifeguard and just, like, look at yeah. <laughs> of the, you know, has got a zinc oxide on his nose. Yeah. yeah. And he's just, like, looking. I don't know why that cracks me up, that shot, but they just shoot to him, and he's, like, looking, like, really aggressively and intently at what they're doing, and they cut to them doing the synchronized swimming routine. I love that, and, and it's beautifully choreographed to the music, too, because yeah. they're, oh. they're, you know, oh, yeah. and then the baby Ruth comes in, which is yeah. uh, oh. clever. Like, uh, I knew that scene before I even saw the movie, because people would reference it sure, as a sure. kid in the playground, mm-hmm. like, oh, they think of the baby Ruth's a piece of shit, and it goes into the crowd, yeah. you know. It really uh, does look like a piece of poop. Yeah, it does not make it does not look appetizing yes. after you see this movie. So, which is another scene based on the Murray's childhood because apparently they pulled that same prank in high school and threw a, a baby Ruth candy bar in the high school pool. <laughs> so yeah, so it was a little reprise to a, a successful prank. And uh, well, I think you always said that you like that musical number where she's walking in a bathing suit. Up yeah, yeah, and it kind of that's in sync too yeah so there's elements where Harold Ramis you can see the filmmaking aspect of it where she's walking and they play in the song and she like stops and looks yeah and it, it's almost to the music and she yeah. goes up and you know the one kid falls off the board. I mean it's just yeah. I, I always love that scene like I'm glad you mentioned that again because uh uh, that's a scene that I really like, and I think that's one of the few examples where Harold Ramis is really committing as a filmmaker, and he's yeah. he's choreographing a scene and letting it play out with, yeah. with, with music and film together for the comedy of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she plays out well. I mean, she really yeah. comes off as like, wow, she really... Charismatic and, yeah. Well, she walks over to the diving board, you know, she kicks off her high heel shoes before she yeah. starts walking up the ladder and everything. I mean, it's, it's everything about that is like... And that's like a perfect... Die. Like she, yeah. she kind of slows down when she jumps up, and then she just—I mean, it's just you know. Well, and I like it too. Like from a woman's perspective, um, I've always just been a huge fan of one pieces in general. I'm really not that comfortable with like showing 
large quantities of my body like that. It's not that I'm insecure about it. I just don't, I just don't feel comfortable doing that. And so I was really giddy about it the other night watching it. I'm like, you see, I said to Scott, I was like, you see, you can be sexy in a one piece. Like, because I think society today, it's all about showing more when I've always been an advocate for less is more. And I think that this, that scene is a great testament of how Mm -hmm. she was covered up, you know, but still very beautiful, very sexy. And obviously extremely eye-catching, you know, in this simple one piece. Mm -hmm. So So as a woman, I enjoyed that. When she walks in, She's mm-hmm. got on a little tennis outfit, mm-hmm. no bra. Yep. Super cute. And then mm-hmm. the funny thing that she does, and one of the things I love about her character is like she totally knows where she's at in, in terms of her beauty and, and, you know, everybody watching her. And so she walks up to one kind of group of guys, gets all of their attention, strolls away from them, stops, yeah. waits for all the caddies to kind of acknowledge her, lets them get a full eyeful, then moves on, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's just funny the way she walks in. And yeah, she didn't walk in in a bikini or a thong yeah. or anything. She's I mean, fully it's just clothed. Fully clothed, but, you know, again, as a 14-year-old boy, one yeah. of my favorite scenes in a movie up until that point. You yeah. Know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's go back to that, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And, you know, like, as a woman, it really, I'm, like, cheering on the inside because I think it's a testament of the fact that, um, I mean, of course, she's just a gorgeous woman on the outside, but it's really a testament to how your confidence and how comfortable you feel with yourself really exudes on the outside. You know, you could be wearing a you know, a, a mask and, you know, fully dressed, but it's, it's how you carry yourself yeah. as a woman. That's what gets people's attention. And I really like that, you know, especially at this point in time when you had a lot of movies like Porky's and all those kind of like sex teenage movies followed, going yeah. on. Yeah. It, I think it was, I think Harold did a really nice job of, of shooting this scene in a very tasteful, realistic way. Yeah, I, I know that there's background where, well, part of it is Cindy Morgan, I've seen an interview, she said she was very nervous about a lot of the nude scenes, mm-hmm. and also she was nervous about the diving scene because she's legally blind. If you watch a lot of behind-the-scene photos, she's wearing glasses in a lot of those photos. Oh, it's kind of interesting. It's like, wow, she's she's uh, completely different from her character in a lot of yeah. ways. Wow. But she played it so beautifully well. Yeah. And I know John Peters, who was the producer, really was forcing her to do nude scenes, and she was uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But Harold Ramis was protecting her, even though they went along with it, he seemed to like you said, I think yeah. you. I'm glad you observed that because I think his intent was mm-hmm. to make her more comfortable. He seemed like a yeah. Harold Ramis just seemed like a generally nice guy from what oh, yeah. I heard. Yeah, yeah. Even the even the quasi nude scenes were you know from the belly button up of her were still done very tasteful. I think. Yeah. In comparison, certainly to what else was going on at that time, and even what we've what today, I think it was done in a really nice yeah they were in a, a nice way. Yeah, it wasn't like oh. Yeah. The yeah. kitchen wasn't, it just so yeah. happened that you saw natural. it, you know, Yeah, very natural. And, and, you know, again, I'm going to date myself a little bit, but movies at the time, I mean, that's an R-rated movie, right? And mm-hmm. when you look at a lot of the R-rated movies that are coming out, you know, late 70s, early 80s, that little bit of flash is all you're going to get. Mm-hmm. And that was a yeah. lot, you know, mm-hmm. by the standards yeah. of that movie, when you would say, well, I saw, you know somebody topless in this movie three times, and collectively all of like 4.1 seconds. You know, mm-hmm. but it was it was just like you inserted a little bit that got the uh, the R rating and sort of the mystique about the movie built up a little bit. Um, you know, nowadays it's uh, that R rating yeah. has yeah. got a lot more. Uh, yeah. that, nowadays we see that on TV. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know. Like... Another actor I, I think is one of the I think he's fine in the role. I guess is that is Scott. Columbia, is that how you pronounce his last name? He plays uh, Denunzio. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I always think when I see this, like, man, they couldn't get Scott Bale or Tony Danza, so they <laughs> yeah, <laughs> settled yeah, for totally. this guy. Yeah. I, I, and 
I guess he was in Porky's too. It just feels like like uh, I've seen that shtick from other actors, and it seems like there are better actors out there that yeah. could have filled that role. Yeah, you know. Um, well, it was his first film. Yeah, it was probably one of his first. Yeah, and, and I, I think the fact that really after that movie, his biggest movies were Porky's. Yeah, you know, kind of says, all right, this guy, this shtick works, this character works in the in this movie, <laughs> and uh, just stay with it. You know, uh, I love what he wore to the Caddy Championship. The, <laughs> Uh, the black pants and the open to halfway down the chest, long sleeve, yeah. button down shirt. I mean, it, it was just, it was perfect. Every Italian American cliche, uh, yeah, you know, stereotype just comes through in that character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, in fairness, he does, like, his his scenes of Dangerfield, I think, are his best scenes. I think that's when he comes alive a bit and he's kind of riffing with him a bit, you yeah. know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because there is a bond there, like, because he can give it. And, uh, you know, I think that, I like those scenes. Those are, those are mm-hmm. you know, I liked it when... It's actually nice to see it gives something to uh, Dangerfield's character, you know, when he's actually bonding with people because he can't come off as like just a, a riff maker. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, oh, he is a real human. <laughs> yeah, I like yeah. he actually responds to Dangerfield like, no, yeah. I'm I'm doing this because I love doing it, yeah, not for yeah. the pay. And actually made you like his character. Like he went from a foil to Danny Noonan just being a a, a guy you liked. And, yeah, you know. he said, you're all right, you're all right. Get yourself a haircut. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> he feels like everybody's that. grandpa. Anyway. <laughs> what do you do back in Boys Town? You know, yeah, that's a great exactly. <laughs> Another actor, obviously, I want to talk about. We were talking about with Lacey Underall and, and Cindy Morgan is Chevy Chase. Um, I know that Chevy Chase has become kind of controversial in comedy circles and polarizing, you know, because so much has come out about how difficult he is to work with and people just don't like the guy. But I can't deny that I still look at him as a Chevy Chase I grew up with in the 80s. Because I I grew up with him in a vacuum, not knowing any of the backstory and anything. I just love him as a comedian. And he makes me laugh every time. In his peak form, like this. It was a huge influence on me. He cracks me up. I mean, I I smile. Even if I've heard this line a million times, I still smile. Because his timing is impeccable. Mm -hmm. It's just impeccable, so sharp, so irreverent. Yeah. I remember we were watching this, and Scott goes, it was the scene with Lacey and, and Chevy Chase when he, when she goes to his house, and he's like, you think he's cute? You find Chevy Chase attractive? And I was like, I'm kind of more interested in Lacey at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he um, his his comedy is so physical, yeah, and that that you know that's where. He was only on Saturday Night Live for the one season, right? Yeah, he but, was. But I mean, some of those big scenes, you know, the scene of the Christmas tree where he takes a Christmas tree out uh, on Saturday Night Live. In this movie, lots of really, really good, funny, physical stuff, yeah. too. And that was kind of his hallmark as a, as a young mm-hmm. comedian is, um, you know, one of those guys that would do a fall and make it look like he fell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, not like he was planning on pretend tripping no. but like yeah. he legitimately looks like whatever happened to him happened by accident he got you know caught up in it so yeah. mm-hmm. uh, I think that's what's funny about him and he does that a lot you know uh, and even little subtle things in this movie when he opens the door and, and Lacey Underall comes in and you know, he says welcome to my home and then he hits that uh, Chinese dividing wall and rips the paper and then he's mm. kind of like patting yeah. the paper down and pouring the the bottles of yeah, old Perrier and the one and then acting you like know blowing new. on it like mm-hmm. it it just popped open. I mean, he's super physical in that way and yeah. and uh, that was always kind of one of his hallmarks. Mm-hmm. And he also has that sharp wit, like you know, like uh, I love you, Betty, Danny. You know, I mean, it's yeah, just so yeah. Uh, yeah. on on the fly mm-hmm. and just riffing. Or when he plays Gerald Ford on SNL and yeah. he's just like, uh, I didn't know math would be involved. You know, yeah. 
just stuff like that. I it just right in my wheelhouse, like yeah. you know. And I know at at the end it kind of dried out and people got maybe tired of it and maybe it wasn't a you know he was kind of played out for a while. But at his peak in the seventies and eighties, few people were as funny as Chevy Chase. Yeah. I thought mm-hmm. I totally agree. Well, and the thing too is that you know um, I think he had sort of a mass appeal because he wasn't he wasn't so uh, so amazingly good looking or so amazingly like outwardly funny that enough people could relate to him you know like guys kind of wanted to be him women maybe kind of wanted to date him that kind of thing but he wasn't so cool that you couldn't relate to him like he wasn't Elvis in that way he was a little bit more of like a guy you would actually know mm-hmm. and I think that that kind of makes makes him more appealing in that way because you're like mm-hmm. oh this guy's kind of like He's kind of like a big clown in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's exactly. not like this Cary Grant guy who's like amazingly good looking. And what are the odds of me ever getting to know him? <laughs> um, but uh, but he's sort of you know, but he's a little bit better looking than like a Rodney Dangerfield. So he kind of like has that element of cool, but yet he's really relatable, kind of like an everyman mm-hmm. in that way. And he, he definitely has a style about his comedy and a reason why he got cast in movies. I mean, I love Fletch. Mm-hmm. And um, he he kind of plays the same guy in Fletch, maybe not not quite so out there, but I mean, just that again, amazing timing. You know, his his humor's just got amazing timing, and um, and so it's it's just fun to see him kind of do Chevy Chase, and yeah. that was a big deal, and everybody yeah. wanted to see him, and you could plug him into a lot of different movies, mm-hmm. kind of playing that same guy, yeah. and you didn't care, you loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's uh, so many moments with him in other movies, like, uh, that, I actually think that his string of films in the 80s are a lot stronger than people remember, because I was, you know, I revisit movies like Spies Like Us, and yeah. there's so many moments of comedic brilliance in that, when mm-hmm. he's faking an injury, and trying to cheat on that exam to get into the spy is a tour de force. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a, an underrated movie called Funny Farm, which is a bit more subtle than your typical Chevy movie. But he's really good, and the movie is actually very good awesome. too. So he yeah. he's done some great work. He really has. Um, and um, I think my uh, there was a writer for uh, Rolling Stone. His name is Rob Sheffield, and, and he wrote an article on Chevy uh, around the time that he was being he was either fired from Community or I think he quit from Community because it was like uh, very controversial at the time yeah. because he hated being on the show. I don't think he liked being on a TV sitcom. I think he was still. Dating himself, where TVs were second tier, the movies, mm-hmm. yeah. which is not the well, case back anymore. Then, back then, it was. Yeah, TV was not as good as movie. Now, movies almost better than TV. Sometimes, I mean, the, I mean, TV. Some of the TV shows look like thirty-minute movies. Or yeah, one hour yeah. like movies, Game of Thrones so. and stuff yeah. like that. I mean, it's incredible right. the quality. Yeah, there's not there's yeah. not that. Uh... Uh, while we're on the topic of Chevy Chase, I would just like to. Uh, Bring forth that Chevy Chase starred in a fantastic Disney film in 1994, uh, alongside uh, Farrah Fawcett and one Jonathan Taylor Thomas <laughs> called *Man <laughs> of the House*. Yes. And oh. that is one of the greatest movies Disney made in 1994. <laughs> I'm glad you kept it to 1994. <laughs> I don't know how many Disney movies came out that year, but I will give you that. If you of haven't those guessed, movies, I'm a huge Jonathan Taylor Thomas yeah, fan. I'm that, I'm yeah. in pursuit of finding. Um, I'm just making sure he's okay. Yes. Making sure he's good. okay. Good. But but no, anyway, he was great in that movie, though. I mean, that was like a quintessential Chevy Chase uh, comedy, and it really is a good movie. Yeah. 
There's a, a, a great quote from Rob Sheffield in this Rolling Stone article that kind of sums up Chevy for me really well. And I think I'd like to share it with everybody where it says, Chevy helped create the exploded context, irony, bludgeoning, cut-and-paste pop world where community takes place. He's talking about the show Community. Yet he's an outcast from his own tribe. He never seems to fit in with the ensemble, and it was a running joke from the start that no one could abide him. Community is about misfits who hang out together because no one can stand them, and yet Chevy is the one that even they can't stand. And he continues with, Chevy has been a doddering Clark Griswold figure for so long, it's easy to forget that for a moment there he was the funniest guy on the planet. He was the advanced agent for the 1970s SNL National Lampoon Revolution, not as a clueless dad figure, but as a cold-livered bitch out for revenge on the world. <laughs> and that's true. He was an edgy guy. Like, yeah. he was really... I think it's because he was this good-looking guy, like he's the everyman, but there was that cutting irony that came through mm-hmm. constantly. And Because SNL changed humor in America, I think. Like, there were people like Bonnie Python or Richard Pryor that were on the verge of that, but SNL really brought that type of humor think, into the I mainstream. I think I kind of see that, because when you look at someone like Chevy Chase, he... Um, he couldn't be a little mean yeah. in his comedy, whereas you compare him to someone like Steve Martin, who is really sort of um, charming and goofy and a little bit like... Self-deprecating. Yeah, okay. yeah, like versus Chevy Chase, who is kind of a little sarcastic and mean, almost. Not that it's a bad thing, but yeah. I, I, what I'm saying is I can under, I, I get what that person is um, well, he talking about. Had a you, ton, yeah. Like confidence and... Yeah. and um, uh, that kind of confident charisma and everything that he did, you know, like I kind of know I'm the shit, and so you exactly. Know, um, and yeah. I'm going to be sarcastic about it, and I'm going to remind you that I think that way about myself, or pretend like I'm being self-deprecating, but I really do think I'm awesome. You know, yeah. he he kind of had that persona going on. Mm-hmm. He did, and absolutely. He nailed it out of the park. This is one of I think one of his his best roles. You know, even though it's an ensemble piece, I think it just like it's Chevy at his finest. I mean, the riffing. Like, this isn't Russia. Is this Russia? This isn't Russia. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, the scenes with Lacey where he, he goes, uh, was it no dolphin? You know, yeah. like, uh, just how he riffs constantly, and it's just rat-a-tat-tat. And yeah. yeah, it's almost like it's a, if you were to psychoanalyze his character, it's almost like it's a put-off to, to not really show what he's truly thinking, because it's just all this weird stuff. <laughs> yeah. And then when I get, you know, it gets in that room, and just males obviously misread him completely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's like, I've always, my dad hated you. Because that's what Jets Mails is. Yeah. It's been in a vacuum. It has no, you know, just goes through life, you know, like, telling people what to do and, you know, doesn't understand that people have, you know... That's, and that's a negative. huge line in the movie, too, because yeah. that becomes the, that becomes the turning point for mm-hmm. the big final story. It's like, I've never liked you. You know what? I'm on board. I'm gonna bet against you. You know, and then that sets up that whole last, the whole the whole last uh, golf story. So it, it's a slob. It, they call it the slob versus snobs yeah. formula. Yeah. It started with Animal House. Like you yeah. know, Harold Ramis and Doug Kenny came up with that. And uh, Doug Kenny was like a comedic genius. He was he wrote for the National Lampoon, and he was just kind of a nerdy looking guy. But he was like a brilliant. Like he and Ramis were just great writers. I think their strength and what they brought to comedy was really their writing and that irreverent uh, sharp dialogue you know really cuts to the to the heart of the matter it's absurdist it's just like all the things that you love about comedy in one piece and he really wanted Doug Kenny really wanted this to focus on the caddies because he thought that's the story he wanted to tell he wanted this to be a more of an intellectual 
like more sentiment, yeah, sentimental you have value. Yeah, this country club, and then you have yeah. the, the kids from the you know the other part, the other side, the of, other town side of the track. Yeah, are working at the country yeah. club to make money, and it's that dynamic. But what happened is you still have that dynamic, but it's from a different kind. You know, it's like the loudmouth. I mean, Dangerfield is basically just like a loudmouth capitalist. Yeah. <laughs> He's a main character on a movie that's, you know, it's just really funny, but he becomes this, the hero, but he's just this loudmouth capitalist that, that takes shortcuts, but he's generous. Yeah, and he doesn't, he's very generous. And he's... He's honest about what he's doing. He's not covering anything up. He's not. There's. He's like, yeah, I'm gonna buy. There's gonna be condos over here. Plenty of parking. You know, he's just out there. Yeah. You know what he's about. There's no cover up or anything. He's yeah. Just, you know. Well, in the background, on many of the scenes on the golf course, are signs with his name on it. Yeah. With all the construction that's going on. Yeah. So it's kind of funny because, uh, you know, you can also look at the movie from the perspective of where we were at as a country, where country clubs. Were losing their elitist feel to them because development was happening all mm-hmm. around them. They were being swallowed up by neighborhoods and suburbs, um, and and then being challenged by all these new people moving into the area that aren't typical country club people, kind of spoiling all their fun. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, so that was kind of just a sort of a funny social commentary on the outside of that whole thing for me. Yeah. Well, golf is such an elitist sport for so long. I think this is a movie that maybe opened golf up or represented a time when, like you said, golf was opening up to just anybody could play it. Anybody could enjoy it. You didn't just have to be a certain type of person, the elite, to enjoy this yes. game. It could be a guy's game. You could just hang out with your yeah. your friends and go out to the golf course. I mean, there's and... still that there's still that country club, you know, aspect to it. But uh, um, I was talking to one of our friends, like Kathy Shimp, last night. She's an avid golfer, and you know, golf is now, you know, I remember playing short holes when we were little. You know, we'd go play nine holes of this little short golf. I yeah. Mini mean, um, golf. It's like many. It's just shorter holes. Yeah, it's yeah. golf. Like, but they call it executive golf. It's par threes. Usually. Yeah, it's par threes, it's nine pitching holes. wedge, a putter. You could do it in like two hours. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's you know, I've never been a huge fan of golf, but it's 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 a very challenging sport, and that's part of the appeal. You know? Yeah. So the fun, funny thing about this movie, so it gets it gets put into this sports movie category. Which, yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it does have golf in it, but like, I would have never thought of this as a sports movie. No, because first of all, the the funny thing about it is Harold Ramis had never played a round of golf in his life when he made this movie. No, and and I think he even has said in some interviews he regrets some of those scenes because now that he knows more about golf, he would have never shot him that way, you know. And and as a golfer, and I'm watching, and it's like they're hitting their drives, and you see how one goes farther than the other, but neither ball is in the fairway. You know, yeah, yeah. just funny little subtle things like that. I mean, golf was sort of the thing happening in the background. Um, it, so I, I never saw it as a sports movie, but I can see now over time. But it's very, it's it's funny like that. It's not, it's, but there's a lot of golf, and it's it's central to everything that's yeah. going on. More so than a lot of sports movies. You mm-hmm. know, there's there's two golf tournaments in here where it's you know you're following along and see who's going to win, and and it's very integral to. Yeah. everything that's going on. But the only one that could swing a golf club in the entire movie that had a decent swing was Danny Noonan. Yeah. Yes. I mean, he had a really nice golf swing and everybody else looked like they didn't play golf. <laughs> Even though uh, Chase is supposed to be the consummate golfer, like perfection, yeah. you know, it, it's yeah. just awkward. He was 68. Um, <laughs> I think a couple of things that about this, like uh, um, 
there's the personal touch, I think, of the Murray brothers who loved golf. And they were not like snobbish elitist country club people. They were working class kids at the time that either worked as caddies or were familiar with it, but they loved the game. And uh, I think they bring the, both aspects of it, the elitism of golf, but also that golf in a, in a vacuum is a great game for anybody to play, and, and there's mm-hmm. a work to it. And that, there's an introspective side to golf through Chevy Chase's character. There, there's a Zen Buddhist quality to playing this game independently. Like, you can play this game on your own and get yeah. something out of it. Without keeping score. Without keeping score, right. Mm-hmm. Um um, but like you, I also say like golf is just a backdrop. I think they more wanted the country club atmosphere too, yeah. mm-hmm. which were the slobs versus the snobs. Like yeah. Animal House, it was like going against the dean and the establishment. Mm-hmm. Here, the establishment is the elites yeah. at the golf club. You know, the rich, right. stodgy guys that are set in their ways yeah. and don't want anybody else in. The, the new money versus old money. Yeah, yeah, that's really the big theme yeah, of the yeah. movie. If there's any theme from Caddyshack, yeah. it's new versus the really old. conservative. Hold on tight to your your cash to the yeah. you know. I'm making money and I'm giving money away. And, you know, it's just like, <laughs> I'm showing off. You know, yeah. like uh, being at Bushwood didn't make it elite enough. They had to have some scenes at a yacht club as well. Yeah. Yes, at a marina. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with a boat christening and just uh, it's so fun. It's, it's wonderful. Well, yeah. Smales and I get he. I don't know what his role at the country club would be. Was he? Is he like? He seemed he, like he was the executive director or something. Yes. He had an office at the golf. He had an office. Yeah. He said he he built it with uh, Ty Webb's dad. So he's. Obviously, it's his baby, you know. I don't know the, 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 the politics of a country club and how it works. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you never really got the yeah. sense. Uh, he's ordering people around. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But there's also a scene where he throws... The golf club, the right. The golf club, and he acts almost acts like he's... Apologetic. Yeah. yeah. If, he, if he was in that position, you would think of like, He'd be like... Yeah, sorry it happened. Uh, one month's off for yeah, know, yeah. dues or but something. But he was like, yeah. I'll pay for your lunch and I'll pay for the awning. Like, he was subservient to some... Yeah. So... I was, I think it's a filmmaking uh, thing. No, I always, I always got confused by his role in the country club, too, because there are times where you're under the impression he runs the whole thing. It's his baby, like you said. Yeah. He's the guy in, in charge. He owns it. And then there are other times where you don't get that. Like, he's just a, an elite member. Yeah. Uh, it kind of fades back and forth. Like, because yeah. I think when uh, Dangerfield says Bushwood's a dump, and he goes, a dump? I'll guarantee you'll never be a member here, sir. Yeah. I don't know if that just means he's such an influential member they could keep him out, or if he is the guy that, yeah. the end point Well, of the I whole mean, thing. he's there when they're cleaning out the swimming pool, and yeah. he's just yeah. kind of ordering them. He's like, and I want to clean them, you know. <laughs> and his wife is throwing all the caddies out of the pool, so it seems yeah. like they're sort of the... The power couple that runs the yeah the yeah. yeah they run the board. I don't know if there's a board of directors or yeah. some sort of usually thing. there yeah. is yeah. Now we get to uh, obviously a very important element of this movie that we haven't touched too much on yet, and that's Bill Murray. You know, like we we've tended at it, but uh, I'm going to preface this by saying Bill Murray is probably alongside Jack Nicholson is my favorite like actor slash movie star. However you want to monitor, he's he's right up there. I absolutely love the guy. Um, uh, and I think just and what's interesting about this specific role is I love him in this role, but it's kind of an anomaly for him because usually Bill Murray kind of plays the alpha male in a group, like yep. the the gang leader, the guy who has all the angles figured out. He's like Bugs Bunny almost, you know. <laughs> Chevy Chase has that kind of too in some ways, but um, like in movies like Stripes and Ghostbusters and Meatballs, that's kind of how most people think of a Bill Murray, and I do too. This is the total opposite of that character. It's 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 a clueless, 
kind of deranged. He's more like Reverend Jim from Taxi, you yeah. know, like which is one of my favorite characters yeah. too. And I love him in this, but it is an anomaly, and I kind of like that about it. It's not your typical Bill Murray role, but it's one of his most popular, yeah, you know, quoted roles. I think I think it's I like his role in this movie because with people like Chevy Chase and Rodney Dangerfield, you already have these really big personalities. So I like the subtlety of Bill Murray in this film, and I, I like the fact that he he's in it just um, kind of frequently, but you know, just enough that you don't forget about him, but not too much, because then we can really focus on how great the scenes are that he's in. It's like the couple scenes that he has, they're just fantastic, mm-hmm. versus being like mediocre and him being in the entire film. I think it helps strengthen you know, his side character. And I like it because it kind of helps tone the film down a little bit, but it still maintains that high-quality comedy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it gives us a break from the Rodneys and Chevys that are kind of over-the-top and in our face, in a way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I mean, the pool scene where he gets the food. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. When like, he's the caddy yeah. for the Good. bishop, you know? Yeah. I mean, he's just, like, real encouraging and, yeah. and hopeful for the, you know... and. He does have some funny lines or, you know, scenes in there, but a lot of scenes where he is completely alone. Yeah. Yeah. Where they do feel like they were kind of inserted in to keep that Groundhog storyline going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but great. I'm glad you did. You yeah. know, because there, there's some just really funny things. I, I love that thing you said that they filmed it in four hours and they came like, holy shit. I <laughs> yeah. mean, that's what that movie feels like. It yeah. feels yeah, like yeah. it's like, it's like, they didn't... They, um, there are certain aspects they underestimated, and there are certain aspects they overestimated. Yeah, they overestimated the caddies, and they underestimated all these funny people. That, that, yeah. and I, I guess that that's you know people are going to bring a certain comedy, but you don't know that every four people are going to bring their A game on this movie. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you just don't know, right? Yeah, right. I mean the writing's there, but they they all, I mean that's it, for their esteemed careers is probably top five for all of them as far as comedic mm-hmm. performance. Mm-hmm. Bill Murray, Chevy Chase, Dead Knight, and Ronnie Dangerfield. Yeah. And you know there had to have been some amazing scenes that got cut. Like, oh, I, yeah. I want to see the full four and a half hours, you know? Me too. I, I want to see it all. I don't want to... I'd like well, to see the bloopers. It just, yeah. They, yeah. They said this when they described the editing, which I, you know, it confirmed everything I always thought about this movie. Just like, wow, I think they had to piece together this from all yeah. the footage they had because a lot of it was improvisational right. and it was a party atmosphere like they said Orion, Orion Pictures who produced the movie they were known for being hands off of filmmakers and these guys were young there was a lot I mean they partied constantly they really legitimately partied so much that there were times where it got too far off the handle they had to reel it back in because people were showing up late to sets or the sets were, yeah. the suits were going longer but on the other hand of it they were just letting guys improvise and come up with their best stuff. And what they said about the cut is that it wasn't so much that there wasn't a lot of great stuff. It was just like, how do we make this a coherent film from yeah. all this? Yeah. That was the challenge because there was a lot of great vignettes, but they didn't know how to... But I would, like you, I'd love to yeah. see all the cut mm-hmm. stuff from all these guys. You probably could have made uh, three really good movies out of everything you did. You could have really plucked some of those out and you could have had, you know, Caddyshack Part 2 not being... <laughs> the abomination that it was, but right. more of uh, you know Rodney showing up on the scene or, or whatever. I mean, there just were so many storylines as we were talking about earlier that um, I'm sure out of those scenes you could have probably really reshaped that movie in a completely different way, still been really good, but not been what we know. You know, 
Right. Yeah, it, 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 you're exactly right. Yeah. Well, that's always the sadness with sequels. Very you fall in love with the they, character yeah. originally, you know, and so some of your love of that character and everything mm-hmm. like comes from that. The first time, you know, uh, the first time I saw Star Wars or the first time I saw whatever... You, you love those characters and then it's hard to live up to that in yeah. part two and mm-hmm. very few films are successful at that um, especially if you don't have those characters in that second yeah. you know adaption or or if you have the thing the worst thing too is when you have a character but it's replaced by a different actor yeah and it's like that's not the character Blues Brothers 2000 yeah. I mean yeah I think it's hard for comedies to have a sequel because it's the initial for comedy to happen, all this, all these things have to happen. I think yeah. uh, a great example. I mean, Caddyshack too, and from the cast isn't as good to, you know. Well, it's funny because I liked like the, Bonnie Dangerfield and Bill Murray both refused to be in the sequel. They turned it down. Yeah. Chase had a cameo, but he wasn't in. And Ted Knight was was passed away before that movie was made. Yeah. So three of the four principals left, and one of the principals only relegated himself to a cameo. It was replaced by Jackie Mason and Robert Stack. And I, A, I think the, the script was contrived. But I think with those two, I love both of those guys in individual roles. Like Robert Stack's hilarious in Airplane. And Jackie Mason, I loved in The Jerk. Mm-hmm. But when he placed them here, it's just like, oh, I really miss Rodney Dangerfield and Ted yeah, Knight. Yeah. It's just hard to live up to those guys, yeah, you yeah. know? Yeah. And, and Bill Murray was placed by Dan Aykroyd, who's amazing too, but he looked like he was really forcing it in that movie. Right. Yeah, that was completely... He was doing an imitation of the character for... Yeah. yeah. It's better left unsaid about that movie. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, I think the thing with, with Murray, too, though, is like Murray just brings so many intangibles. Like He's such a brilliant imp- improviser, yeah. and he comes up with so many great... Like The Dalai Lama speech is probably one of my favorite speeches yeah. in any film. It's such a great riff. It is, yeah. The visual, the pitch, pitchfork yeah. adds so much to that, that too. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. uh, and... and again kind of that final line is another thing that i know that i have said and my friends say many times well at least i got that going for me you know so (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. it was a great scene i I love the opening scene with the head greenskeeper oh i do too we need to kill all the golfers and he says well (laughs) kill all the golfers and and he's oh okay we'll we'll do that but gophers you know so it's just funny the way he we don't even need a reason yeah yeah we don't even need a reason yeah exactly it was just it was so good and it's funny about this movie though there's like there's so brilliant high level comedy but then there's also like cut to comedy that I don't think they quite understood like when Rodney Dangerfield calls the the food dog meat and they cut to the chef dog dog meat and it's just like so overplayed it doesn't really resonate yeah Yeah. funny it's like who cares if the chef I mean no one I think that's the thing that they thought, like, oh, if Ronnie says something, we have to show a reaction to it. No, you don't. Yeah, he just yeah. says it. We don't need... And, and that's right, what's funny. Yeah. him just saying Yeah, we don't yeah. need the yeah. chef reacting to it. That's no, we don't. Say. Yeah, we, it, it's unnecessary. You're right. Yeah. It's better just to watch him riff over and over again. Just like, he's just saying it, and we all know that he's just saying stuff that, you know... Um, Ted Knight, you know, Judge Mayo's reactions to it is, you know, just complete horror. It's yeah. great. Yeah. You know? But that he's in complete horror the whole thing, not just like particular lines. Uh, one uh, one of the scenes I love too is I think my favorite scene in the movie is really the one with Chase and Murray. Like I think that's just a mm-hmm. Im- improvisational comedy gold. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not pure improv because they have a character set in stone before they get on there. Sure. But the riffing is such a great thing to watch with those guys. 
because they're both running on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. You know, credit trouble, and you know, like yeah. <laughs> you know how you take your Asvales, just cut them over on the yeah, <laughs> yeah. hamstring, and he'll never play golf again. Slices. Yeah, he developed his own grass. It was uh, what was it? Kentucky bluegrass. It was a Titleist or something. Sensimilia or something. Yeah, yeah. You could play, play about nine one day and get stoned out of the bejeweled gloves the next yeah. night. Yeah. Uh, and then Chase reacting to that, you know, the way Chase does does best. They actually, like we'd mentioned earlier, they actually had a feud because uh, Murray joined SNL right after Chase left. He was like the guy that, he wasn't really the replacement, but he was the guy they added to fill in the cast after Chase left. And when Chase came back to host, Belushi was very bitter that Chase was the first guy to leave. There was a lot of professional jealousy there because he wanted to be the first guy. So he instigated a feud between Chase and Murray which resulted in them coming to blows backstage on SNL during that time. I think Murray, I guess, was quoted as telling Chase he was a medium talent. And then Chase said, your face looks like something that the Neil Armstrong would land on or something. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> it was a retort. So they, there was a lot of bitter blood. So when they came to Caddyshack, there was that history behind it. But Ramus was able to get those guys. I think Ramus was a good... Oh, like yeah. leveling guy that get people back on track because he seemed to get along pretty well in that scene. He's I think my that, favorite Ghostbuster. He was a great Ghostbuster. That is yeah. funny. Like we, the, the, Ramis got better as a director because you know he teamed up with Bill Murray again for Groundhog Day. Yeah, and another one of my favorite. Movies. And that's yeah. a great directed movie. That's a brilliantly. Directed it is. Movie. Yeah. yeah. So you know, it's just like everybody was kind of new. You know, was this like Bill Murray's? Was this after Stripes? This he made Meatballs, which was kind of a a pretty fairly large hit. That was Ivan Reitman, right? Yeah, it was like a breakout in film. Yeah, he was big on SNL too, because all everybody on SNL back then was pretty much a movie star before they became a movie star. Yeah, but Meatballs, and then this, and then Stripes the year later. So it was like like he did all these movies in a row that just took him into the stratosphere pretty quickly. Yeah, Yeah, so they were all. It was. It was Chevy Chase. So what movies did he make before this? He made a movie called Foul Play with Goldie Hawn, which was a big hit. Great okay. movie. Yep. Yeah. Very and funny. Goldie Hawn was huge then, too. Oh, she's so great. Yeah. yeah. She was just adorable. Everybody was just loving on her. So, yeah, very cute movie. Very fun. And he played yeah. a great character and a lot of physicality in it. Yeah, he, he was great. Uh, he made a couple movies with Goldie in the mm-hmm. beginning. Like, they were kind of paired. They kind of probably about the same age, too, yeah. even though she was yeah. a bigger star years Maybe earlier started, yeah, for sure. I think they were kind of a good pair and I, I think foul play that was Dudley Moore's first breakout role too as in the states like where he mm-hmm. became uh, he had a, a, a small role as like kind of this it was a kind of a funny role where he, he was he was seducing Goldie Hawn or something like that wasn't yeah. I? I kind of vaguely remember yeah, that yeah yeah he uh, he was kind of a uh, a desperate guy who thought if he could lure women back to his place and then open up his closet and show all the weird Sex things that he had, and he was going to get lucky. And it was very, very funny. It was, yeah. That's uh, another guy I love, Dudley Moore. I, yeah. you know, but we'll have to Rose talk Arthur. about Arthur someday. Yeah. Oh, well, I'd love to do that. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> what do you guys think about the music in this? Like, I want to talk about Kenny Loggins first because I think that song, I think it's a perfect fit for this movie. I think it's a great pop song. Yeah. I'm all right. I mean, it really sets the tone immediately. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I thought the music was great, and, and again, he uh, he has what like four songs on the soundtrack, I think. Yeah, and uh, he was a he was a pretty big deal. I mean, that was a really big hit mm-hmm. uh, for him, and and so 
I thought the music was great, and plus there was all different kinds of music inserted in there. You know, the yeah. synchronized swimming scene. We got a little. Yeah. Uh, um, I don't know what it was, Mozart. Or yeah, it yeah. Was. The classical music was so funny. Um, but yeah, I, I really liked the music through the entire soundtrack, and that song, of course, you know, is so iconic. Yeah. Yeah. I always love this song too. It's catchy. I always get it stuck in my head whenever it's on the radio yeah. or when it comes across. Uh, I'm more of a Huey Lewis in the News kind of gal, but <laughs> but I think I, I this I think you. it's fitting. I think the song is fitting for the movie. Um, it definitely works. It is very catchy. It's not like my favorite. It's mm-hmm. period perfect, though, right? Absolutely. So, you know, yeah. he was so big then, and, you know, yeah. it was kind of that rising star, so it was perfect for him to have yes. that opening song and everything. Um, you can't not think of the gopher. Yeah, that, that, no. that song. Yeah, but. yeah. And it kind of jump-started his soundtrack career, because in the 80s, he was yeah. a soundtrack he really guy. Was, yeah. He did, you know, Danger Zone for Top Gun. Mm-hmm. He did uh, Footloose. Footloose, obviously, mm-hmm. the biggest, probably, of all of them. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that, that, that set him off pretty well. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, last but not least, I just wanted to touch. I think Brian Doyle Murray we talked about earlier. Oh. I love pick up with the blood. <laughs> I think he's terrific in this. As much as I love Bill, I, I think Brian is just as talented, if not as famous. Like he's yeah. in a lot of movies, I see Brian Doyle Murray and as a character actor, he just he just elevates every scene. He's hilarious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's awesome. Yeah, he, he's great, and uh, he's a pretty versatile guy. I mean, he has played a lot of different types of characters, so. And not all comedic. I mean, his career kind of kept sort of growing and growing, and he sort of evolved out of some of that just straight comedy stuff into some more serious roles. But, yeah, I mean, he was so good in that movie. And the pick up the blood is a great line and one of my favorite lines. And just his whole the whole time, he's always telling people to pick stuff up, you know. Yeah. So you know he's channeling somebody that he worked for. Oh, yeah. Daddy himself. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Just a neurotic, obsessive-compulsive yeah. guy. Um he started out with Ramus. I think they were like one of the. They were. They started out together at Second City. So he was in a, involved with this stuff long before Bill was, because mm-hmm. I think he's the older brother. So he kind of pioneered, and he got Bill, I think, involved with a lot of that stuff later on. But uh, it's just it just shows you all that connective tissue kind of carries over yeah, to all this yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, one, one other thing I just I wanted to throw out there too. Um, one of my favorite things about Caddyshack is some of the little scenes and the little vignettes that are in between the bigger scenes. Sometimes there isn't even a lot of dialogue. It's it's sort of like contextual type scenes where it's just sort of setting things and Yeah. Like I and, and really throwaway scenes. If they weren't in the movie it would have changed nothing. But uh the scene when the haver camps are golfing. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You know, and Denunzio is carrying their bags mm-hmm. and you know the, the, the he's pointing where the golf ball is and and, oh, Nelly, I'm hot today. Yeah. <laughs> and his wife hits it into the pond, and she's saying, "Wee! Oh, that was a peach hunt." And there were a lot of little scenes like that in the movie, just very quick little things. Which I, I love those little subtle things too. When you can throw some kind of clever, fun, little funny thing in there, and then just move on. Don't yeah. acknowledge it. Just let it be yeah. what it is, and then go on. Absolutely. So. I think the, I have to acknowledge the priest. I think the the actor uh, who played the priest, uh, he's he's terrific. He was a silent film star at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I love that scene where he's drunk and he's like, there is no God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm a man, same as you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's been completely stripped of his belief. You're not a man, you're a bishop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah she gets... <laughs> Just males gets mad at him. Yeah. 
Who isn't the judge mad at? He's mad at everybody. Henry Wilcoxon. That's that's the the guys. He was in the Ten Commandments too, the the Charlton Heston version. So he was like, yeah, yeah. yeah, Now he's doing Caddyshack. Yeah, he had some chops, like legit. You know that sequence where he gets struck by lightning is fantastic with Murray and. Mm. Uh, just it keeps escalating because he's having the perfect game and then boom and yeah. it just ends mm-hmm. and some of the funny little sort of sight gags they did with the ball rolling up and then the wind blowing it back or the ball rolling into the hole and a frog jumping out yeah. <laughs> you know all of that stuff and, and then of course you know being left crumpled in a heap on the on the green as uh, you know Spackler mm-hmm. runs away <laughs> so. <laughs> so overall how do you guys feel it holds up uh, in general after having revisited it I mean, I think it's a fun movie, you know? Uh, I think the story, like, the goofy storyline is something that people of all ages can really, you know, enjoy. I mean, I think teenagers, kids even, minus some of the sexual parts in the movie, I think, you know, it's it's just kind of a fun, goofy, like, throwaway movie, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, It doesn't take itself too seriously. Mm -hmm. So I think for those reasons, it really holds up. Um, I mean, speaking it aesthetically of course as we kind of already discussed it's a little dated in that way not that that's you know mm-hmm. bad um it's just a fact of it's it just is. a yeah. fact but yeah. I, mean, I mean that's kind of a fun thing you know one day the 80s might be the new 60s i mean who knows but you know that's kind of a fun thing mm-hmm. uh I, I i think it's really definitely a good comedy of its time it's uh it's interesting because it's like it's it's really interesting watching a, a comedy in 1980 versus watching comedies now how different but yet similar they are and I definitely think this comedy probably inspired a lot of comedies to come after oh yeah mm-hmm. just like that of Airplane um, so for those reasons I think it certainly holds up um, I think it's a great movie it's, it's unfortunately it was just never really something like I personally grew up with but I definitely understand you know its appeal and it's, it is fun to watch Usually, I mean, you find something new to laugh at every time you view it. So I think yeah. for, for reasons like that, that, that makes a great lasting comedy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think the parts that are really good really hold up. Um, and I think the, a lot of parts seem very dated. <laughs> um, and that's not... You know, to what why people love this movie. I think they were probably a problem even when the movie came out. But I think there were some parts of like, well, it's just, you know, yeah, it doesn't really work. But it didn't work back then either. So, yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's okay. But I think you know the Bill Murray stuff and the Ronnie Dangerfield and the Ted Knight and all that. That I think that's gonna be. I mean, it's in the. I don't know if this movie's in the National Archive archives, but. It, it, Archives. Archives. Yeah. Uh, it's in the archives. 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 Yeah. With Judge Doom, you know, Judge that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Great character in this movie. It's the yeah. name of my new uh, Man, uh, Chris Lloyd scared me with the dip in this movie on the golf course. Yeah. I mean, this movie's 37 years oh old, so it's, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. if you think about it, 37 years from 1980, this, you know, it's like in the 40s, so, mm-hmm. you know, this is a historic movie, you know, it's a classic. Yeah, yeah well, and, you know, just to kind of real quickly comment on that um, if the movie didn't have some of the big name stars like it did like Chevy Chase Bill Murray Rodney Dangerfield I don't know if it would have held up 
I think having those really amazing comedians in it really obviously helps it because then you, if you're a Rodney Dangerfield fan, then you're going to go back and you're going to watch his catalog of movies and the same goes for Chevy. and, mm. and It's really the only yeah. reason why that movie actually gained more yeah. and more popularity as time went on mm-hmm. because of the strength of the per- individual performances by who, again, were some of the biggest names in comedy yeah. at the still time. Still are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and still and are. Still are. And uh, yeah, for me, I mean, obviously this is a, a huge movie for me as it is uh, a part of my life. And uh, so it does hold up. I mean, I can certainly recognize the fact that it, you know, it, it doesn't look like the modern day movie. But what I do love about it, and you touched on this a little, Sean, is the imperfections. Mm-hmm. I mean, this movie... It was obvious that it was put together with a low budget, mm-hmm. that it was put together quickly, that sometimes scenes were only filmed maybe once or twice, and it was like, good enough, let's put it in there. But all those little imperfections for me actually made it feel natural and real, and much more real sometimes than today's movies. Mm-hmm. It just felt like really yeah. like raw and, and real. Yeah. And, you know, um, it was Harold Ramis's first movie, yeah. and it felt like somebody's first movie. But gosh, what a really good first movie! Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. You know, that's not a bad way to start. That that set his career up, I'm sure, to be a director. Anybody directed yeah. 13, 14 movies. I mean, so. when I hadn't seen Caddyshack, I remember the response was, "What? You haven't seen Caddyshack?" And it's yeah. like, well, I heard about it, but I thought mm-hmm. it was about golf, yeah. which I'm not really interested in. Yeah, you know. And then it was kind of one of those things. So, absolutely, I yeah. mean, it really is a classic in that way. It is, and it's one of my favorite comedies, um, despite its imperfections. Part of it is nostalgia. I have such a great deal of love for these guys. I grew up with these guys. They were like my heroes as a kid, like Chevy Chase and Bill Murray in particular. But I also love Dangerfield and Knight. And despite all the imperfections in this movie about how it was directed and how it was pieced together, and it's not a great script, it's not a great story... But those vignettes and, and those characters are so great. And watching these comedic masters working at the peak of their powers is something I have to revisit because I love the line so much. I love the comic energy, and I, I just get so much from it. it and I, I just love that. It brings me back to a time like with this in Animal House and, and Stripes. And the unifying factor in all those is Harold Ramis as a writer. Even more than as a director, Harold Ramis is a terrific comic writer. I think he's a huge influence on maybe my taste in comedy and what I think is funny was kind of defined by these movies because I was raised along with Mel Brooks and I think uh, a select other people I think Carol Ramis is one of those guys that shaped my taste in comedy because of these movies you know I mean first time I watched the Ghostbusters he I mean his character is my favorite He's great. Know, I loved his style. You know, mm-hmm. I just liked him. He yeah. was also in Stripes with Bill Murray, and great in that too. It's just oh, like you incredible. know, yeah. yeah. I was like, who's that guy? Stripes. <laughs> I'm like, I never heard of him. Yeah. No, this is like first time I watched Ghostbusters. I knew about yeah. Bill Murray. You know, we knew about him, Dan Aykroyd, and you're like. Who's this guy? This nerdy guy? I yeah. like him. <laughs> I love in Stripes when he walks in and he says, you mind if I have your last beer? No. We'll split it. <laughs> uh, I love that too. Yeah. But, uh, you know who doesn't get enough love in this movie? The gopher. <laughs> yeah. You know what the story is on that? There was a thread line. He needed something. Gopher. Yeah, because they referenced it. But this was created by the same guys who yeah. did the effects in Star Wars. Yeah. And they came up with that really? elaborate like scene. And some people hated it. Like Doug Kenny hated the fact that the gopher was in this because it's like this is so far removed. Yeah. It's cheesy. Yeah. 
I want to focus on this irreverent stuff. That's and, what makes it so like so much greater. Now, yeah, it's a gopher. Yeah, it's clearly mechanical. It is, yeah. it, and it fits the tone of this movie because it's yeah. a cartoon. This movie yeah. is a it living cartoon. So yeah. it starts up with the gopher, and then you hear Kenny Loggins. Like you said, it just yeah. sets yeah. the tone for this. Movie. Every time you hear that song, now you dance <laughs> like the gopher. I do. Me. My favorite part, my favorite Goku scene is is when Judge Mayles is pulling up in his car. And oh, me too. He's a gopher. He just his reaction to it. <laughs> so I have a funny story about the gopher. Oh. So in college, when I was a teller, when I worked at a credit union, um, one of the girls there had a gopher that a Caddyshack gopher, and when you press this little paw. It, it played the Kenny Loggins song, yeah. and the gopher like just like swayed from like side to side, and it, he was like standing up. It was like a gopher doll, and I just thought it was the cutest thing. And so I said, "Oh my goodness, I want to have this over at my teller station." So I put it like in the front of my teller station, and I named him Harvey, and he was my little gopher friend. And it struck up so many like fantastic conversations, and like I would take pictures with this gopher. <laughs> and I, when I ended up moving, I ended up um, leaving that job because I relocated out of state. And all my girlfriends, like, took a picture of Harvey and, like, framed it for me. And he, like, Harvey was holding a sign that says, I'll miss you, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just so funny. So, like, this go- the gopher of Caddyshack has, you know, been a part of my life. Well, that's amazing because it's just a, an aspect that shows how much, what, what a huge influence this movie's had on pop culture yeah. and the culture. Everybody like, loved it. Like, it start, It was a great conversation starter because people would be like, is that the gopher from Caddyshack? And I'd say, yeah, press its right paw. And, <laughs> yeah. and then it would start playing Kenny yeah. Loggins, you know. And oh, it's that's fun, awesome. You know? it's, it's probably the number one novelty driver head cover in golf. The gopher head? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, you'll mm-hmm. always see one of those. Uh, golfers love this movie, obviously, but I mean, I've heard that like this is they reference it constantly on golf courses. It's constantly, and, uh, yeah, it's it's, it, it's like their you know version of Talladega Nights. Yeah, when you taunt somebody in sports in general, at least with my group of buddies, it's always Noonan. Miss it. <laughs> so, I mean, that taunt is still something that gets said all over yeah. the place. That is just a thing now. It's so funny. Be the ball is another one. Like, no, 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 no. You know, exactly. that good. I guess, the, I guess another good golf movie or, you know, that people really like is uh, Billy uh, Madison. No, wait a minute. What's it? Happy Gilmore. Yeah. That's a golf movie. Uh, yeah, I, I won't get started on my anti Adam Sandler rant. I'll leave that for another day. <laughs> but, but, but. I think a lot of people yeah. quote yeah. that, like, because yeah, yeah. some of the golf. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It, it, I was like the part where he says to the guy, he's like, the guy's like, I eat pieces of shit like you for breakfast, and he's like, what? You eat pieces of shit for breakfast? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <It's> yeah. <just laughs> well, Carl Weathers is in that too. I think of her. Yeah. Yeah. He is. Yeah. <laughs> but people always quoted that. This is considered, I think, the most quotable movie. Like the quote, and people quote this on everyday life all the I time. I don't know if it's yeah. the most quotable movie ever. I've heard it. It might be number one, like objectively. What? Like people quote yeah. this. I think people quote Star Wars and stuff. Oh, that I agree with. I think, that. I think that's, Wayne's that's really World good. probably gets way up in the top of of quotable movies. But I agree yeah. with you, Sean. I think yeah. uh, again for me, uh, this movie is filled with lines that have become part of my vernacular, and and I will still say them today <laughs> and not even think about where that line came from until I've said it. And then it's like, oh, you know, another Caddyshack reference, but. Um, it's got a lot of great lines. It, it does. I, you know, I think uh, I always use, like, so I've got that going for me, which is nice. I always kind of throw... That works in a lot of context. It, it it's does. such a brilliant line. I love it. <laughs> so the one way I usually cap off most podcasts is to talk about, like, anything outside of a movie theater. The best way to watch is on Blu-ray. As a caveat, the first time I saw this in a the movie theater was with Scott at a local theater here in Columbus called Studio 35. It was at a beer-tasting event. 
and to show how much people love this movie and when Scott and I are watching with a crowd it's a lot of fun yeah people not only are quoting it but they're also cheering Bill Murray got like a standing ovation every time he appeared and although when Scott and I are watching is like you know Bill Murray's getting a lot of laughs but Ju- the Ted Knight is really standing out for me right now yeah, is the yeah. funniest guy in the picture um, well, well, Bill Murray, I think, has like a cult following. Yeah. You know, like people. Yeah, I'm part of that cult too. Yeah, too. So, totally, totally. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm just—I yeah. guess I'm just defending, you know, the other guy in a little bit. Like, not to yeah. say oh, it's yeah. not as good. It's just. Bill Murray kind of has this like yeah. cult following. We'll go check out the chive. You know what? It, you know what it is too. It's an ageist thing because Ted Knight is an older looking guy, yeah. so he's not yeah. going to be as attractive as this young schlubby looking guy yeah. that looks like the like uh, he just dropped out of a fraternity somewhere. Exactly. You know? Although Bill Murray looks like probably more like Ted Knight now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does. <laughs> you know, not as not as groomed, but he's, you know, he's or got Chevy the white hair now. No, Chevy. They're both. They both look he's like, like old men now. Yeah. Man. You know, but. Scott and I enjoyed it at the theater, but if you don't get a chance to see Caddyshack, the best way is Blu-ray. Uh, Blu-ray has a... There are two double features on it. Well, the menu kind of references our quotable segment, where we were talking about how quotable the movie is, because they have all the lines playing back and forth in a random sense, just because they know, who. if you bought this, you love this movie, and you're familiar with it. But um, they have two making of double features. One is, is somewhat good. It has Chase and Ramis and some of the principals... Another one is like every obscure caddy. <laughs> Tony's showing us a picture of the current Chevy Chase right now, which is what happens to people as they get older. <laughs> no, I'm just saying he looks unrecognizable. Like yeah, he yeah. Not maybe recognize him. Yeah, you, if you haven't seen him in a while, definitely. Um, he almost but, looks like Santa Claus. You know, you could play Santa Claus now, probably in a movie. <laughs> wow. <laughs> He looks like Tim Allen in the Santa Claus. We'll have to share this with everybody on the, the Facebook page. Um, but yeah, the, the, like the second making of is like every obscure, like Terry the Hippie gets a lot of substantial time in this documentary and talking about his role. And it's like, I don't really need to know every detail about yeah. his casting. Yeah. You know, that's like when they were, they were scraping for any kind of yeah. person to come in. Well, uh, that's that's it for uh, this week. I want to thank uh, oh, Tony showing us uh, her her hero, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, with uh, Chevy Chase. What was well, the name of that movie? We'll be posting that one on the Cinema yeah, World. Yeah, we will. Man, uh, will. Man of the 1994 is Man of the House. The Man of the House. That's when I started saying Chevy Chase. Wow, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> wow, there he is. Who is did that? Farrah Fawcett. Yeah, Farrah Fawcett played the mom. This is really a great movie, guys. Yeah, well, Chevy in it, I'll probably watch just because it's Chevy. Uh, but um, Farrah Fawcett in some really nice mom jeans. I mean, this is good. Man, I have to just check this out now. Yeah, like, yeah. this is selling good. it. So, uh, Chris, thanks so much for being on today. Yeah, it thanks was a for great having time. Me. It was great um, to talk about the movie. Yeah. Loved it. I know you have like uh, a lot of shows coming up. Uh, if you wanted to talk about those, sure. Um, uh, starting you know Tuesday night, uh, this coming Tuesday night, uh, Deuces Wild. Uh, so yes. what is that? Uh, today is the 13th, so I guess that makes it May 16th. Um, then on Friday, I've got, uh, I'm in TBD, the musical, uh, hashtag show at uh, the Shadowbox Backstage Bistro. We're there every other week. Uh, you guys, I think, have been out to see it before. Uh, fully improvised musical. A lot of fun. A lot of really great musicians accompany us. Um, and uh, State of Play uh, in our uh, kind of coming back on stage. Mm-hmm. We just performed... In Improv Wars this past week, and we won uh, the first round for the Summer Smash. And uh, nice. we will be performing in the finals uh, for the Summer Smash on July 13th. So I got a lot of things going on. Huh. 
And uh, yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen Chris perform live, I highly recommend it. He's a he's a great improviser. He's, he's a very funny. Yes. It's Caddyshack level as far as I'm. <laughs> he and his friend Phil Porter are a good team, you yes. know. And he's a very talented musician as well. Oh, yes, trying. he is. <laughs> And uh, I know we... And a nice guy and a great husband, as I've already said. <laughs> yes, he is. I mean, he's A-list on every level oh, of wow. his life. You so, so yeah. Um, you guys have anything to, to plug? You or Scott? Well, I'll, I'll be on the set in Bravo War Summer Smash on June 15th. I believe and, with uh, you. Yes, yeah, the Wheeler Brothers. And uh, Wheeler yep. Brothers on uh, June 22nd with Pocket Lent. And... Um, and then you and Tony have a show coming up as well. may not we, be available yeah, when we promote yeah, it. But. I think, after we I think this us. might come out after we yeah, do that. So. so sorry, guys. Sorry, but you. catch all of us if you yeah. see us out there. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you very much, everybody, and uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah, have a great Thanks day. Thanks for having me. Put that steering wheel over here where it belongs and get this out of here. Hey, everybody, we're all going to get laid. So I got that going for me, which is nice.